Mecham Auctions, the world's largest collector car auction company, returns to Indy with Dana Mecham's 37th Original Spring Classic, May 10th through the 18th at the Indiana State Fairground. 3,000 muscle cars, Corvettes, exotics, and more. Broadcast on Motor Trend TV and streaming live on Max. From avid collectors to those new to the Mecham experience, we welcome everyone. Register to bid now at Mecham.com. On the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline, it'll be staked out in Kansas City coming up beginning on Thursday as well, a part of the NFL Network coverage of the 2023 NFL Draft, which should be absolutely spectacular. Once again, Thursday at 8 o'clock is when it's underway, and NFL Network analyst Daniel Jeremiah is kind enough to join us now on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. Daniel, things are getting down the stretch run here for number four overall. How are you doing as far as the draft and all this consumption of information is concerned <laughs> i was uh i was in between interviews been knocking out a bunch of these and uh i thought you know what let me uh let me jump on twitter i'm a big padre fan let's see is you darvish's hamstring gonna be okay <laughs> and as soon as i jumped on there i saw that there and rogers trade yeah so i'm like this is uh this is going to be a wild ride. Yeah, you know what? I'm glad you started there, too, because we'll jump into the whole Colt situation in a second. But everybody thought that that was going to have to get done before the draft, so logically it did, and there you go, right? Finally, right? I mean, finally we kind of know, and I, I see everybody's kind of freaking out about what the compensation was, and I feel like this shouldn't be that much of a surprise. I mean, I, I thought it would be a two this year and uh, a conditional pick next year. In other words, he, he plays well or plays a lot, and then maybe they get a one out of the deal. So basically be a one and a two. And then, you know, it felt like, okay, that's where the, it was, and we just couldn't get it finalized. So we always call it in, in personnel, we call it like you put a little sweetener in there. Okay, well, you, look, you pick, you pick 15, we pick 13. Here you go. You can have 13, we'll take 15, and you give us back a fifth, we'll give you a six. Like that's that's really a bunch of a big pile of nothing. Um, so it really was a, a two this year and a conditional two next year that could turn into a one if he, if he plays. Was that a solid haul for the Packers in your estimation? I think it was what they needed to get. I think they achieved what they needed to achieve. You know, I, I think if you're, if you're looking at it from a jet standpoint, it's a, it's somewhat of a fatalistic fan base. So I think the thought is, Oh my gosh, we traded, you know, we could end up trading next year's one, and that's going to be a top two pick, and we're going to miss out on Caleb Williams or Drake May. And what are we doing? Well, look, if if Aaron Rodgers plays sixty five percent of the snaps, I think that roster is good enough where I, I can't envision them, uh, you know, giving away a top five pick. I imagine they got a chance to be a playoff team. At Move the Sticks, Daniel Jeremiah on Twitter is with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. You mentioned a fatalistic fan base in New York. You know, it's, <laughs> it's weird around here because that's kind of the direction in which the Colts fan base is going because there's been a, a lot of losing and then this past season uh, a lot of discombobulation going on. They're trying to reset themselves in particular at the quarterback position. Is this the draft in your estimation for Chris Ballard and company to do just that? I almost think they have to, you know, like you're picking all the way up there that there's, you know, there's reason to believe they won't be up this high again. They have some good pieces in place on this team. They weren't healthy last year. It's hard to imagine them picking right back up here again next year. So I, I think if there's a quarterback you like, 
you take him. If you're sitting there waiting for the perfect prospect, you're never going to take one. And they've been on this veteran carousel for so dang long. Like it's time, it's time to stop dating and it's time to get married. Yeah. So, all right, I'm going to give you a situation. This goes back when you're in a bad season, a four win, one tie season, as we went through this past year, you get start talking about the draft during the season. And and that's kind of odd around here. So I, I get some info that they liked Will Levis during the college football season, during their season a year ago. And it's been weird. I haven't heard anything differently. I'm not assuming here at all that I'm accurate about it. But where do you look at Levis compared to the other possibilities that loom for the Colts Thursday night at number four? Well, I, you know, I think there's obviously the rumors are out there that somehow Stroud might get there. And I think that would make the decision, you know, pretty interesting. Um, you know, I think that it's been assumed, okay, Bryce Young's gone, Stroud's gone. It doesn't seem like there's a real appetite for people to get up to three. And we really haven't seen, in, in terms of draft day trades, we just haven't seen many teams travel the distance that a team like Tennessee would have to travel. Usually if those trades are done, they're done way ahead of time um, and, and allow for a lot of planning to take place. So I think you have to go back to to 14, the last time a team picking you know, at 10 or around 10 to come all the way up inside the top three. Um, it just doesn't happen. So I think, I think they're going to be stuck there at three, which means you know, if you're the Colts, if you assumed that, that Stroud was going to be gone, you were going to be real comfortable with Will Levis. And now it's like, well, hey, maybe there's only one quarterback off the board and they're having to make the choice between Stroud and Levis. And that's where, to me, it gets a little more interesting. Well, I like I like Stroud a great deal. There's no doubt about that. But I'll be honest with you, and I've been honest with the audience, a lot of that came with that national semifinal performance against Georgia. I mean, it did. I thought mm-hmm. in that game, Daniel, that he looked like the quarterback that this Colts team has needed through all the Band-Aids of the past three years, right? The post-luck scenario, what they needed here how much of what we saw in that thumbnail sketch is what you believe him to be at the next level well i believe if you can do it once we know you can do it and the question with him was never can he make this throw or that throw he can do it he's an excellent thrower the question was just some of the playmaking stuff and so if you've shown that you can do that i know that you've got that club in your bag and we've got to continue to you know continue to to get you to do more of it now at ohio state you don't get as many opportunities because you just flat out aren't going to have a lot of pressure, uh, you know, to be able to show that aspect of your game off. So I thought it was key. Uh, you go back and watch him the year before in the Rose Bowl against Utah, and Utah had a pretty good group there with a lot of players that are going to be drafted and have been drafted. Uh, he carved them up like a turkey. So uh, he, he's, to me, he's a really talented player. I think he's clearly the second quarterback in this class. Uh, and if I were Indianapolis and he, he got there as, as, you know, as a choice between him and Will Levis, Will Levis would intrigue me, but I think I would feel a little more comfortable with C.J. Stroud. Why is Levis intriguing to you? Just the, the, the size, the arm strength, the, the athleticism when he's healthy. You know, I think that toe was a big issue this year. Um, just couldn't move around as much. But he just gives you more overall physicality more you know just kind of horsepower as a thrower like he's got he has some of those elite traits in terms of the arm strength and then you know when he gets going he gets moving he's a really good runner so um, those are the things that are intriguing with him but he doesn't have a great pocket presence he's a little bit beat up 
Um, and I think at times he can get a little too aggressive, you know, with his with his style of play, both as a thrower and a runner. So those are the red flags. Daniel Jeremiah, the NFL Network, the NFL Network coverage, uh, 8 o'clock for the first round of the draft. And NFL Network live from Kansas City coming up on Thursday. Daniel Jeremiah again joins us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. The way that I look at this, let's just say hypothetically here, which is going to happen, not even hypothetically, but Bryce Young's off the board. And you look at Stroud with that that opportunity. You look at Levis and what and how you just described him. Where does Anthony Richardson and his 13-game starts uh, for the Florida Gators enter in as far as, man, that is intriguing, but according to you. He's a fun fit there for me. Um, so I actually have him as my third quarterback, just a, you know, a spot or two ahead of Levis. So, you know, I, I've been kind of advocating for that fit with, with Indy because I just think it would be so dang fun, you know, to watch him in the backfield with Jonathan Taylor. I mean, pick your poison on that one. You want to run zone read who you want to, who you want to attack if you're the defensive end. That would be a lot of fun. It just, I've heard no buzz out of there on him. Zero. And maybe that's maybe they've just been coy, and maybe they've held their cards incredibly close to the vest, and that's going to be the you know the surprise pick as they end up do taking Richardson. But I think it's a fun fit. I think Gardner Minshew allows you to be a little bit patient with him. You know, I think he needs to play. He's only had 13 starts. I don't think you want to sit him for a whole year, um, but I think it would be nice. You know, four games, five games, let him kind of ease into it, and then off you go. Um, so I'd like to fit there, but uh, again, you just hear no chatter about him there. I would agree with you on that as well. Now, part of it, I think they, they have a locked up inner circle right here to a point where I kind of questions around here whether or not they're telling you know Jim everything, to be honest with you, Daniel, yeah. uh, because of <laughs> his social media presence alone there. But anyway, yeah, nothing's been coming out of there. But with Richardson, and you brought up just how long it might take for him to evolve into that starter, what is that length of time, in your opinion, it would take for him to, to be able to get Menchu out of there and get those reps as a starting NFL quarterback? Yeah, I mean, I, I just think it's a few games. I think you're talking about a handful of games. Uh, let him see it. Let him see it from the sideline. Uh, let's get him really, really comfortable with how you're going to use him and how you're going to operate with him. Let him watch just a little bit. But then, you know, he's got to get out there. He's got to get out there. He's got to get experience. He's got to get reps. I think you can lean on his legs a lot more early on. You know, he's he's got a rare body now to be able to take some punishment. So I, I think you're going to play him a lot different year one than you will year three. But I think because of his athleticism, it allows you to get him on the field. Well, he says all the right things. There's no doubt about that. And he's he's getting covered beyond really anybody else out there as far as what people could think. I don't normally get taken by the pro day, but I will say this. Going back a month ago, that, that pro day was yeah. incredible. When you look at the raw athletic ability that he has, that was incredible. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, the combine. I haven't seen a show like that from a quarterback. Mm-hmm. I've never seen anything like it. But, you know, the interesting thing is some – some buddies in the league, when we start getting a little uh, a little too too much hyperbole, they're like, hey, you know, Fields ran 4-4-5 four, four, at his pro day. You act like you've never seen a – I'm like, okay, okay, <laughs> it's back off. We're just enjoying what we're seeing here. He did a nice job. When you supposedly have so many quarterbacks uh, with need out there that are so close together as far as this, this part of the draft is concerned, how much do you think the whole leadership quality, the one-on-one personal time these teams get with these quarterbacks, 
the coachability, which certainly was something that had been questioned last week regarding C.J. Stroud. And again, Daniel, I know all this crap comes out this time of year. This is really normalcy. But how much of that would play a role considering where these quarterbacks are so tightly wound with one another at the top of this draft? Well, I mean, I wouldn't. You know, I, I wouldn't want to turn in the card on a on a quarterback that I wasn't comfortable with from a work ethic and tangible standpoint. It's just too hard. So if you aren't dialed in in that area, I can see how that could be a, a tough one for you. So, um, you know, I haven't got on. You know, in regards to C.J. Stroud, I've talked to folks at Ohio State, I've talked to different teams that have that have met with him. I've yet to hear a smoking gun of you know, oh man, we can't take him because of this. Uh, you know, so in terms of their their conversations with him or their impressions of him or what they've heard, so um, I, I've, I'm curious to see how this whole thing shakes out. Um, I know there's talk of him maybe dropping down the board a little bit. I'm I'm kind of in the mode of I'll believe it when I see it. Well, maybe we see it, you know, coming in pick number two. Do you think it's reasonable to believe that Houston, with their obvious quarterback needs, will go ahead and delay that another year? People would lose it around here because it seems like that they've been kind of punting and band-aiding things for the past three years here, certainly. But is that reasonable to believe that they're going to bypass on a quarterback because they don't like anybody but Bryce Young? I don't see their – 2023 starting quarterback on their current roster. So I would be shocked if they leave the first round with those two first round picks, two picks in the top 12, and they don't come away with a quarterback and they're just going to run it back with the group that they have with Davis Mills and Case Keenum, EJ Perry. I would be shocked. That's all the rage. We'll find out early, I guess, coming up on Thursday. You'll be yeah. there front and center with the NFL Network in Kansas City. What are your thoughts on Hendon Hooker coming off that injury and really yeah. put up great numbers, but all that kind of went under the cloud of that injury he's coming back from a year ago? Yeah, I mean, really, there were kind of three questions with him. It was the age, it was the injury, and it was the offense. So, you know, you, you've got to get comfortable with all three. Now, I've been told – you know, going through the medical stuff, he came out well. Um, teams are comfortable that he'll be back and rocking and rolling by September, you know, full speed. So that that was encouraging. I've been told with the offense he came out of, and, you know, they spread you. It's that old Baylor offense that when they've met with him, they've come away incredibly impressed with him and, uh, and just his overall football knowledge. They think he'll be able to make an adjustment in time. And the age is what it is. You know, you, you, you can't do anything about that. Um, but I think he is – I think he's likely to hear his name called at some point in time in the first round. There's just too many teams. You, you mentioned it earlier. There's too many teams that need quarterbacks, and the whole philosophy of we'll just get one next year, I mean, that might be somebody else making that pick at that time. Hey, Daniel, we're on the carousel here because each and every year at this time I talk about how they're in need of a wide receiver. And, of course, a year ago with Alec Pierce, they certainly addressed that. How, yeah. does, how does this crop of wide receivers in this draft compare to the one that we saw a year ago, that including Alec Pierce as a rookie here with the Colts? I don't think it's as good. Um, I, I think there's some depth. I think there's some real depth. I think there's some solid guys. But last year it was it was stacked at the top, and I thought there were you know potential you know some star quality players even outside the first clump. This year I feel like there's starters, more starters than stars, if that makes any sense. I think there's a lot of number twos and number threes, chance to be solid players. But, you know, I don't see a lot of 1,000-yard uh, receivers in this class. If you're going in Thursday, beginning Thursday, and you're looking at the overall depth of this draft, positionally speaking, what's at the top of your list? 
Well, to me, I think you look at, at offense and defense. So offensively, it feels to me, you look at the tight end position, it's the best group I've seen in a decade. It's really, really good. Um, the running back position has got a lot of depth as well. So those would be the two positions offensively. Defensively, it's corner and edge rusher. Uh, edge rusher probably being the top for me of all of them. Uh, there is a There are a lot of, of talented edge rushers in this class. Again, not the premier guy at the very top, Will Anderson's my top guy. He's a good player, but he is not Von Miller. He's not Miles Garrett. He's not Nick Bosa or Joey Bosa. So, um, to me, it's strength in numbers with those edge rushers. What's most intriguing after the whole drama uh, and this mystery, I guess, at the top of this draft with quarterbacks, once that's done, what's most intriguing about the remainder of this draft to you? Well, I I think there's a couple things. I mean, B. John Robinson, to me, um, you know, where he goes, he's my number three overall player. And it's the, you know, it's the debate we have every year with running backs, but uh, he's a pretty special talent. So that one is, is interesting to me. And then, honestly, the, the, the most intriguing thing to me about this draft might, might just be, you know, the veterans that are out there. Last year, if you asked this before the draft, A.J. Brown going to get traded during the draft? No clue. Out of left field. How about Marquise Hollywood Brown getting traded? Nope. All that stuff happened within like an hour period uh, in the middle of the first round. So I'm just – I'm curious now. We've got so many younger GMs, and they do things a little differently, and they're aggressive. So maybe there's some veteran movement that we have no clues coming, and that'll really spice this thing up. Yeah, I, th- I think we, we certainly noticed when A.J. Brown was traded live during the draft when Mike Vrabel got really wanted to vomit on TV like that. You kind of knew <laughs> exactly yeah. where that, that thing was, was certainly going. It's Daniel Jeremiah with the NFL Network coverage beginning on Thursday from Kansas City. Kind enough to join us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Before I let you go, you mentioned wide receiver, you mentioned cornerback, you mentioned edge rusher for the Colts in round two and round three. That's 35 and 79. If you're looking for a corner, maybe even an edge rusher in that neighborhood there, any name you have in mind with availability at those picks well you know we'll see when emmanuel forbes comes off the board the corner from mississippi state who's notoriously light he was 166 pounds at the combine uh was 170 <laughs> his pro day but he, he's he might be the most talented corner in the whole draft uh that's about the range he's gonna go start looking at keely ringo and, and tyreek stevenson could be names in that in that range as well and then edge rusher wise you know, Will, Will McDonald is a really good one from Iowa State who's a little undersized, and I think Keon White is probably going to be in that range as well. Is Will Anderson, is he the best talent in this draft beyond any position? He's number, I had him number two. So yeah. I had Bryce Young number one, and I had Will Anderson as teammate number two. So I, I think he's the best defensive player. I think he's going to be a really good player. Um, you know, I, I think he's going to be a real solid, solid guy. I don't think he's at, you know, the level of some of those premier, premier edge rushers we've had in some of these previous years. Yeah, there's a lot going on here. I'm sure you guys will have a, a hard target on Indy as well at number four to see what happens. And again, Daniel Jeremiah, along with his colleagues at the NFL Network, got you covered. I believe that's at 8 o'clock coming up on Thursday, the 2023 NFL Draft, live from Kansas City. Now, you got to take this big, like, book with you or stuff or is this all on computer? Do you do it old school way or are you new school here? I, I've, I've had to be new school. So I, I, over you know, a few years back, I, I dump it all in Excel spreadsheets and I've got it all sorted every way you could possibly sort it with all my nuggets and notes in there. And um, it's the only way to do it because 
I, I figured that out the hard way the first year doing the media stuff, and it was like I don't want to be summoned through a book trying to find my notes when a trade happens. <laughs> that's, not, that's not a good place to be in live television. No, 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 no. Now, when this is all over, when, when you go on vacation for like two months? I, you know what? The kids have to finish school, so I've got a couple yeah. still in high school. So I'm like, yeah. you know, trying to tell my wife I'm taking a break and going to Hawaii while she stays home with the kids. That doesn't that doesn't go over well. You don't think so she'd go for that? You don't think she'd yeah, go for I that? I think that might not be popular if it's in my house. <laughs> Hey, I appreciate you jumping on here as well, and we'll see what the Colts do. And, and by the way, I don't know if I ask you this before I let you go. Do you have a yeah. number four for the Colts as we sit here right now? Did you say that you thought that that was going to be Richardson, or are you pulling for Richardson? I, I would love to see Richardson. I think it's going to be Levis. Yeah. You and me both. You and me both. Daniel Jeremiah, the NFL Network. You can follow him on Twitter. And, of course, from Kansas City, he's got you covered along with the NFL Network beginning at 8 o'clock. Round number one on Thursday on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Daniel, I appreciate that. And here's once you're done and the kids are out of school, you get started on one hell of a Hawaiian vacation right there. (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm already thinking about it. Trust me. I appreciate it. Yep. Right back at you, Daniel. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. From the Colts Radio Network, the former NFL coach and friend of this show, Rick Venturi, again on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. Welcome back, Rick. How you doing? Hey, John. I'm really, really doing good. I, I can't tell you how excited I get. You know, there's there's about four pillars in my life that I really just have always loved going back to my early rookie days. Um, I absolutely love the draft Uh, And that goes back to my college days, really, when we recruited uh, and we had to make projections on players. Um, Love the draft. Love the opening day of training camp. Love the opening day of the season and then January football. I mean, I I kind of professionally live for those uh, those things, but I, I'm really excited about the draft. And obviously, there's a lot of drama. Uh, hopefully, there's not a lot of drama on West 56th Street. They have this thing figured out, but there's certainly a lot of things to talk about and a lot of things that can really happen between now and uh, you know eight o'clock uh, Thursday night. So, I think it was uh, Chris. Ballard on Thursday at that pre-draft presser and believe me we both know this there's not a lot you can say I mean you're just getting out there and rambling and you know trying to as best you can answer questions because you don't have answers that you want to give anybody for those questions so it's really kind of weird and it's awkward but they suggest he suggests that they don't really know how things are going to go in front of them right now i always think that's bs am i wrong well i think this is a pretty new uh unique year uh and you're right john this is i i've i've defined this i see everybody using it now as this is the lying season for everybody no one is going to tip their hand everybody's going to mislead um there's going to be falsified information all kinds of leaks things like that uh, Chris himself <laughs> announced that he was he didn't call it lying he he called it dancing. Um, here's the deal I know um, everybody you have to uh, you got to have a great quarterback to win in the National Football League today. You know particularly in the NFC, AFC. I mean if you can't score 30 points you're you're going to have a tough time winning. There's so many great young QBs. Uh, you know it's it's a fabulous time from that standpoint. So you know you got to have a QB uh, to win. And then second of all, as in all years, 
because you have to have them, this position will be inflated. Um, these guys aren't a potential one, two, three, four, which isn't going to happen, but they're not potentially that because they're generational players. They're there because the need is so great and you can't win and you can't play without one. Um, I think I'm not going to be, I'm not going to have a nervous breakdown, basically, whoever they take, even though I have my feelings on the rankings, because in this year, Every single guy, including the guy who I rank clearly number one, uh, including Bryce Young, all the top five guys have some terrific reasons to take them and to work with them and to develop them. But then on the other side, you know, they have enough reasons to reject them, you know, and be total bust. So, you know, it's, you know, as, as much as how you rate them and so forth, uh, I think is really going to be determined by the type of coaching staff you have. But also on the negative side, I think because these guys aren't really generational quarterbacks, that's why Houston – could say maybe not. Maybe we, with that second pick, either trade out of here or we get a great defensive player, uh, you know, a generational defensive player, and then get another pick with 12, you know, and play with this quarterback for a while and so forth and so on. And so I, I do think that there is an element that anything could happen in front of us. Now, from the Colts' standpoint, the important thing to know is – even though they could say, they can say, well, you know, all four or five of these guys, I'll say four, you know, there's not a lot of separation. You, you, there has to be. You, when you rate these guys, you have to rate them hard. One, divide that next to two, divide that next to three, and divide that next to four. So regardless of what happens in front of you, you have to be ready to go in the order that you pick them and whatever there you have to go in that order at that minute if if two and three aren't quarterbacks then you're going to have the choice you're going to have to roll the dice between number two number three number four i i think that would be a really fabulous scenario because there'll be no hiding behind the pick uh if in fact the uh, the top three guys are sitting there for you, then you know you're you're going to have to make that pick, and history will decide, you know, if you did the right thing. It's uh, Rick Venturi, the Colts Radio Network, former NFL coach, and nobody goes more in depth in preparation for a draft than he does. And kind enough to join us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Before I set you up and you take off running with the top of this draft, in particular number four overall, and your expectation at assuming here quarterback for the Colts. I did want to ask you this. So I know you've heard this before. I probably even mentioned it to you the last time in a season like this past which is an absolute disaster you tend to move forward a little bit in conversation in talking about the draft especially when the belief is your long-term quarterback is going to be found there so I, I got a, a bit of information back during the season that at the time the Colts liked Will Levis and I thought that maybe there was a little bit more sincerity in it then, even with a lot of time to go to, you know, obviously tear down that particular quarterback as you do all these players in this draft, because not everything at that moment's under lock and key like it is right now. Yeah. Yeah. You, you agree with maybe that? Because honestly, I haven't heard anything differently since then. I could be completely wrong. There's no doubt about that. 
once they select coming up on Thursday. But is there truth to that, knowing then and then saying that compared to not wanting anybody in your kitchen and it being locked up tight right now before the draft? That's a huge difference, right? Yeah, that's a huge difference. Uh, you know, I thought Ballard, you know, he, he tried to tamp down the sense that they were locked in on one guy, which you can't be locked in on one guy, actually. As I said just a minute ago, you have to have an order of preference, and I can get into what you're looking for, what you want, what they have, what they don't have, who you've fallen in love with, you know, and, and then it's, but it's a process to get there, and how you felt in November and even early January and February may not be how you feel today because you you go through a, a real long process, and I think the Colts certainly on the surface has done their due diligence on all those guys. They've, they've been there and back. They've had them in. They've done the testing. And so, you know, I mean, I'm sure that they have the, you know, a, a look today, uh, that could have been vastly different from what was in the original thoughts. I mean, for a guy, for instance, a guy like Richardson's only played 13 games. So when you were talking about in season, he didn't even have a full season under his belt. So, you know, I think that changes. I think the other scenario that I have seen change um, over the years, and this is my, believe this or not, this is my 41st draft. But one thing I notice is, and this particularly applies to the early process and the combine. Guys come out of the combine, and boy, I'll tell you what, you hear all the buzzwords. You know, this guy's ceiling and this guy's floor. You know, this guy is tremendous. Look at the tool. Look at the physicality, the tools that he has. Don't judge and, in a vacuum is my favorite oh, right there. No, no question about it. <laughs> and And so what happens on March 1st, all of a sudden things get changed around. You know, I, I call them fetch players, guys that become lottery picks or high draft picks in February and March. And my, my response always to that was, did I miss a game in February and March? How, how's this guy rising so high? Well, you know, they're rising because of metrics and the tools that they show and the combine and so forth. And that happens. And that even that happens to the experts, not just, you know, not just the amateurs. But here's what I've always known is when you get the difference in March 1st and April 15th is night and day. Because now when we get really, really close and we have to pull the trigger, and let's face it, when you're pulling the trigger on one of these quarterbacks, you're either, you're either going to be a genius or you're going to get fired if you're in that process because this is going to make or break you. They can minimize that you know, there's not a lot of pressure on Well, there's a lot of pressure on it. And it's a, it's a landmark choice coming up when you're in the lottery on a quarterback. But what you tend to do when you get close – is you tend to kind of overanalyze, uh, you know, rumors come out. We just saw the one on the cognitive test. Uh, I've been in situations where a drug test came out uh, just before the test. I mean, we were ready to, uh, we were ready in Cleveland to draft Warren Sapp with the eighth pick in the draft. And two days before, there was a report on on drug usage. Uh, we ended up backing off, which was the dumbest thing we ever did. But those things happen. A lot of stuff leaks. Some of it is, you know, kind of fake news. Really, uh, I really believe by some teams to, you know, affect how you look at somebody, but. 
But in the end, you now have so much information, and now the pressure is tough because you're no longer talking about it. You're no no longer doing press conferences. Now you're making that pick for better or worse. And so I think a lot of things change. Uh, when you get right down to uh, nut-cutting time, so to speak. It's uh, Rick Venturi with us talking NFL draft, of course, number four overall on Thursday. And uh, the Colts are going to be – are you going to be with everybody out there? Or have you done your bit with them? How's that work? No, no, no. Matt and I and Joe Wright are going to be working Thursday night there at the complex out into the, you know, with the um, the ticket holders. Uh, We're going to be doing that uh, on Friday, on Thursday night. We'll do, we'll start earlier. I think we're starting at 7 or 7.30. And then we're going to do the whole first round. And then the second night, Friday, um, it'll be uh, Matt and I. We'll do um, the second night, which is round two and round three. So we'll have great a- analysis. If you're if you're out driving around on those two nights, running some errands, make sure you check in with us because we will. And I, I, you know, it's you know probably too much plug here, but we do a very very good job. Even though we're a local show, I think we do a really good national view of this whole thing. Nah, it's going to be fantastic coming up on Thursday. You can hear that right here. It's Rick Venturi. All right, with that, let's unveil what you think is going to happen and compare that to what you believe should happen at number four. Well, let me let me go this way to you because you know let's let's assume um, that you know it's quarterback one. Right. Uh, let's let's assume that that is the case. Uh, and so you know, here's how here's how I look at it. Okay, and I'll I'll kind of backtrack for a minute. You know, I'm taking a little bit of uh, of what Steichen had to say, adding some things of my own. You know, and kind of coming up what I look for in a quarterback, what I think is important. And, and Shane was on the same page with this. Number one, uh, and and I think when we talk about all these guys, we can check the boxes or don't check the boxes. Um, I think number one, you're looking for accuracy. And I always say accuracy under fire, not in a workout, not in a rocking chair, but accuracy under fire, you know, when the pocket is tight. Uh, Number two, uh, we've got to have a guy on Sunday that can really, really process information in a millisecond, in an absolute millisecond. That's why, you know, test scores can can be important. They're not everything, and sometimes they're they're not. You know, sometimes they don't tell the whole story, but they are baselines. I think number three, you're looking for a guy that, if possible, can create offense. You know, can extend plays, can make it when it's not there, make plays with his feet. Then I think number four, which I've added to this because I, I really think this is important, is poise under pressure. Can you play under control when things are hot? Now, when you look at the top three guys in the league, in my opinion, Mahomes does that. No matter how fast the game is, no matter how much he's running around, he never loses vision on the field. He never loses control. Jalen Hurts the same way. You can argue about his accuracy and all that, but he is a movement guy. When he's moving, he's always looking and therefore under control. Joe Burrows, who isn't a 
big scrambler. He can move and avoid, but no matter how much pressure, he's always under control. Now, sometimes you look at a, you know, to me, at an Allen at Buffalo, who's a tremendous athlete, but there's times that he's frenzied when, you know, when there's pressure there in certain situations. Lawrence has a little bit of that yet, and they'll get through it, but those first three guys – think it's really an important quality and then of course as Shane says the fifth thing and the most important thing attitudinally is just a total commitment to excellence that you know that that guy that's going to be the first guy in in the morning you know the last guy out the Brady mentality and I think those five things so if you look at those five things and you rank the five guys I rank the five guys because I think Hooker you know had he not torn the ACL would be right in the thick of it for all the marbles. Um, But I clearly uh, like Bryce Young. I think in Bryce Young's case, you could check all five boxes. Everything is there. The accuracy is pinpoint uh, process. The guy's brilliant. Um, You know, he can create. He makes terrific plays, uh, never loses control. Uh, I watched tape when the quarterbacks with John Gruden for two full days down in Tampa. And, of course, John was the quarterback, a whisperer, before there was one. And we studied the heck out of these guys because I wanted some input. Um, And we we started calling. It was funny. We started calling um, Bryce Young Little Mo. Uh, and there'll only be one, and ever only be one Mahomes, and Mahomes is big at six four plus. But he, this guy has the same kind of traits. He can make things happen at the last minute. He can dart out of it and hit somebody. Uh, he has that, and then the total commitment. The only problem with Bryce is what it is. I can't make him bigger than five ten, one eighty five, because that's what I think. The Nats five ten and an eighth, one eighty five. Now I wouldn't let that bother me. He would be the first quarterback off the board to me, and I would draw a line and then go to the rest of them. Now, I'm not going to be upset if somebody is a prototype drafter. John, if you're a prototype drafter and you tell me I just can't have a 5'10 quarterback, if you have a great reason for that, then you go that way. I'm just saying in my book, he is clearly number one, okay? Now, when you go through some of the other guys, uh, you know, I don't think that Stroud is clearly number two like a lot of people do. Um, I think Stroud is a um, he. Stroud is a guy who is maybe on in the college game is the most consistent guy in all things. You know, he's very very accurate, very good release. Um, you know, does those things. He has you know, he's great great percentage statistics, which I don't put too much you know too much into in the college game, but he does. Uh, he has that. He's very, very accurate with the ball, good ball placement. Um, and, you know, I think that part of it's good. Uh, Stroud is a guy that I give him credit for consistency, but of the all of them, of all of them, to me, he just has the fewest wow plays. In other words, if if he were a gymnast, I would give him a lot of sevens and a lot of eights, but I don't know that I'd ever give him a ten. Okay, now, the other thing, and it, you know, whether or not it should be a factor or not, it is to me. He plays the game in a rocking chair at Ohio State. Okay, he's got he's going to have five number one top draft pick receivers in the last two years. He's got an offensive line of top draft picks. 
So he very seldom gets pressure. He very seldom is out of rhythm. And, you know, basically Ohio State is better than everybody they play till they get in the finals. I mean, it's really that simple. And they, ha- and they run an offense that is a, trem- a true college offense, not a pro offense, which is a one-look read and go. It's not a big processing thing. The biggest problem that I have is it's not going to be like that in the NFL. You're going to play with dirty pockets, cave pockets, a lot of blitzing. And when that happened to him in college, his efficiency really, really falls off. It really falls off the table. And so that is a a little bit of a problem that I have with him. Now, again, if you draft him, you're going to get a guy with a really good arm and release. And so you've got a lot to work with. Um, Anthony Richardson is you know he is a boomer bust he's polarizing to a lot of a lot of respects um unicorn tools there's no question about that now the three tools that he has because he's not he's not like necessarily a five tool guy what they say in baseball number 1 he has size Number two, he has the strong arm. I mean, he's a he's a runner heave guy, uh, you know. And number three, obviously, he has that tremendous speed, that four four speed and running ability. Okay, so he has those things, and so you know, basically, those are like I said, those are unicorn talents, a four four three. Now he doesn't throw the ball with pinpoint accuracy. Okay, you know, Hertz was a little bit like that but better. So, you know, if you draft him, it's it's like I said, it's 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 like in if you're playing uh, draw poker, five draw, five card draw, it's like holding the jack, the queen and the king of spades and you're drawing for the 10 and the ace. But if you hit a deuce there, <laughs> you just bust out. So, I think I mentioned this to Chris Ballard early in the process when Richardson was knocking it dead at the combine. He's a guy that makes you a genius or he gets you fired. Now, also, I think the figure, you got to understand it, he's going to take a while with only the 13 starts. Um, you know, I don't think that that's, you know, a fatal flaw, but that's what it is. He is not, I don't think he's as pro-ready as the rest of those guys. And so if he's the quarterback, then Gardner Minshew, his bridge is going to be a little bit longer to cross. It's not It's not going to be the, uh, the canal downtown Indianapolis. It's going to be more like uh, the bridge over Pontchartrain in New Orleans. It's going to be a longer Lengthy. bridge. From from that standpoint, but you know, I just I just worry sometimes about prospects that make it, you know, in February and March. Um, But he he has it. If I think he's a really good kid, I don't know how well he processes because again, it's a one look and go. Um, I think his test scores are very solid, so he probably has a good chance on that. Um, I don't know. If you want me to stop? Let tell me when you want me. No, to stop. I want you to know. You yeah, keep going, keep okay. going. I, I think because you want to get to to uh, Hooker as well. I think before yeah, we take a break yeah. here, because a lot of people want to know about that because yeah. he seems to be on the outside looking in. But continue. Okay. Well, so you know Richardson again is boom or bust. Now you know he's the kind of guy that is going to take a specialized offense. Now we have the coaching staff for that. So. If we take him, I'm confident that it will be a Jalen Hurts type of offense, which really uses the quarterback as the primary runner in the offense. But also, I thought 
And I think they have good balance, and they play with enough NFL passing concepts to be really good. And I think that's why uh, Jalen has flourished so much at Philadelphia. I think Sirianni and Dash, you know, Steichen have done the best job in the National Football League, even better than Baltimore. Um, uh, uh, with with Jackson, I think those two guys have done the best job in the NFL of utilizing what a guy can do NCAA wise, quarterback, uh, you know what we call quarterback designers, and yet bring them along as an NFL passer. So if we do that, I'm pretty confident that our staff in time. Uh, you know, has the best chance of bringing him on. Now, the next guy, and obviously there's a lot of hate for this guy, and it seems to be uh, yep. real hate in Indianapolis. I don't know why. I think it's a pundit thing. Well, I know, I know why, so I'll get into that. And that's Levis. Now, I am in probably a, a real small minority because I even have guys that are my peers, not just guys that are – uh, not really experts, guys that just read Pro Football Focus and read it back to you on the air. Um, I think we have know. those guys on like three days a week here, Rich. Yeah, they're on all the time, yeah. <laughs> well, the actual Focus guys are good because they do look at the tape, but the guys that just copy what they say, they have no idea what they're talking about. But I'm, I like Levis. I, I think that Levis is a very outstanding prospect. Um, I think, you know, the, he has a tremendous gun. I mean, he has a tremendous arm. There isn't any question about it. He makes NFL throws. He throws the dig routes, the out routes. It's not, he's not just a run-and-heave guy. He can make those throws. And because he hasn't played on great teams, he can make off-platform throws. That is, he can be rushed. He can throw off the back foot. He can throw, you know, in bad positions and make tremendous plays. Uh, in some respects, you know, going 17-7 and seven at Kentucky, and I defy somebody on the air to, to name me Kentucky prospects this year <laughs> that played with them. And more importantly, to go 10-3 and three with a really good offensive coordinator in 2021, I'm not sure that isn't the best accomplishment of all of them per, per his situation. Now, he does. There is an element to him where he forces the ball. I put that in a little bit of context. I'm not going to absolve it because it is what it is. But remember, Andrew Luck had 173 touchdowns and 83 interceptions. So it's not impossible for a good guy to do that. I do think what happens in context, because I've coached with bad teams, is you get a quarterback with a bad team, and basically what he has to do, he has to make every play. And so there are times when he is going to force the ball when he shouldn't, and it's head-scratching, and you say, how the heck did that happen? So that's something you're going to have to evaluate in this process to see if that is correctable, if it's a concentration error, or if it's just something trying to make plays. I, I think the other thing that works against him from a media standpoint is he's not a media darling. He's a little bit rigid. You know, he has some arrogance to him. He's not a funny kid. He doesn't, he doesn't seem really likable. And so all of a sudden, you know, he's not that great guy. We don't like Levis. Something about Levis I don't like. Well, you know, they, they bring up two things. They bring up that he puts mayonnaise in his coffee and that he eats bananas without taking the peel off. Well, 
if he's my quarterback, I'm getting him a truckload of Chiquitas and I'm getting a truckload of Hellmans and say the hell with it, I'm going to coach him up. I, I think this guy has a lot of tools, and if he slips, if he does slip, uh, he may end up being the steal of the draft. He's, uh, you know, people talk about all these intangibles and all that stuff, and and there's a little bit of a weirdness. I would quote people saying that about him. Just remember, this kid has a master's degree in finance. He's got a master's degree. So, I mean, this guy is this guy's got some stuff going. So, again, I like Levis a little bit better than everybody else, and there just seems to be yeah. so much hate. I can't believe it. And then Hooker. Well, well I tell you what, hey, I, I'm going to take a break here. I want you to come back and close with hooker and then i want to get to some of the other selections because you and i talked a little bit earlier those have seemingly been forgotten given the whole quarterback debate we've been on for the past month plus here so we'll do that with you on the other side starting with hooker and then moving on okay okay bud quickly back to the andy moore automotive group hotline and from the colts radio network the former coach the radio analyst and he matt taylor and joe rides have the draft show round one for you coming up on thursday that will be after us right here rick venturi rejoins via the andy moore automotive group hotline all right close out with the possible quarterbacks at number four with hendon hooker and then i want to move on to some of this other stuff that has been rarely discussed as far as the rest of the colts draft rick is concerned Absolutely. And I'll go real quick on Hooker because, you know, I think he's a unique guy and I don't think he's going to be in that top four. Uh, I think he'll be a little bit higher than people think. I I think he will end up being a first round pick. Uh, I think Hooker, because of the ACL, is out of the picture. I think had he been healthy, um, he would have very much been somewhere in this uh, in this vicinity of this top four we've been talking about. You know, he's the one guy. I know it's not a fencing match, but he's the one guy that beat uh, Richardson at Florida, beat Young at Alabama, and beat Levis at Kentucky. So he's 3-0 and in those games. Great arm, great quick release, played in a very, very – sophisticated chaotic offense that drove people crazy so i guess the biggest the biggest question on hooker other than the knee is does he process that well or was the offense that good and that taxing on the defense that it created him for him but really good kid uh, I think he's going to get drafted, like I said, much higher than originally thought. It's uh, Rick Venturi right there. Let's move on. Some yeah. of the other needs. And one, as you and I talked about, they, they created more of immediate need at corner by trading Stephon Gilmore in the fashion in which they did. Is that where we're starting as far as positions of need after quarterback here? Well, I think, you know, I think number one, just a very quick um, preview to the specific question. You know, I think the biggest thing the Colts, I, I think the biggest weakness the Colts have is in the top 10 to 12 players in the rosters. We just, at that level, we don't have a ton of guys. We don't have enough guys uh, that either have it or are in position that changes the change the game, position of significance, uh, and that's game changers, ambient type players. I, I think when you look at it from how you defense the Colts, you know, there's really one guy on offense right now, and that's Jonathan Taylor. And Jonathan Taylor is a game changer and a playmaker as a running back. On defense, the one guy is Buckner. 
Buckner is the one guy that you really – and that's not to say they don't have some solid guys, but I'm talking about, you know, the guys like Cincy has at the – you know, on offense uh, that Philadelphia has, you know, that certainly Kansas City has, and even Jacksonville acquired last year, the quarterbacks, the receivers. I could go through every one, but we don't have time. And I think we're painfully lacking there. But, you know, when we don't do it in free agency, it's very hard to do it in one draft. It takes time um, in that regard. Uh, you're absolutely right. The third guy I was going to mention is gone is is Gilmore. I mean, Gilmore, to me, was one of the, the guys that you really had to scheme around. He was the one real playmaker when we needed it in the back end. So, you know, it's surprising to me how you could give him up for a fifth. But, you know, in effect, we did it. You know, whether it's a cap saving, his age, or whatever, but he was still a damn good football player. So there is no question about it that we, we created a need that was probably there already at corner. Now, uh, I think the good news is is that there are some, uh, you know, some really good corners. It's a really, it may be the best corner class and tight end class in terms of quality uh, and depth of quality. Uh, you're not you you're not only looking at guys. I think that are starters on the first round. But I think there's second day starters in those two positions. Um, and so you know when you look at that. Some guys to keep keep your eyes on. I mean, I don't think there's any question that there's some guys going to go quick. I think Gonzalez is going to go quick in the first round. I think Witherspoon. I think those guys are top ten guys. Porter probably um, up in there on the first round. Guys that I think we should be really, really interested in and guys that could be a factor with that 35th per pick um, is uh, my favorite, my favorite corner in the draft, period. I'd be honored to get him at any time. 35th is Deontay Banks. He may, I, I got a feeling he's going to be a first rounder. Um, kid out of Maryland, just great, great speed, great explosiveness, stop on a dime. I think Emmanuel Forbes from Mississippi State, even though he's a toothpick, another four, three, six guy that can fly. You're not making my team unless you can run at corner. One thing, one thing I know is a young corner has to be able to outrun his mistakes. And if you get marginal speed guys, they're going to really struggle and they're going to hold all day. Uh, DJ Turner out of Michigan. I like Ty Stevenson out of Miami and I like Bennett uh, out of Maryland. Now I could go on with more guys, but you know, those are five guys that I really like. They have all the uh, all the metrics. I, I think they're really good football players, and they're going to be guys that you're going to be thinking about. They're going to be in the mix around 35. Um, hey, I was going know, really I, quick. Julius Brents from Indianapolis. Yeah. I wanted to ask you about him because he's different being the fact he is so so tall, rangy in yeah, this case. Brents is really an interesting guy. Brents is not – and, and, and I'll get into it. Brents does everything well. Brents is really, really good on tape. He has a tremendous vertical jump. I think it's 41-something. Um, he has a tremendous short shuttle. I think it's 4-1-0. The only, and he has really long arms. You're right. He plays really long, and he's a really good technician. Um, he's going to play in the league. There ain't any doubt about it. He may be here. He tends to be the kind of guy that Ballard really likes. 
my problem is I have one problem and I never back off from it. And that doesn't necessarily make me right, but he is about a four five three guy. He comes over a little bit over to me that cutoff point is four five. And that that doesn't mean that there aren't exceptions that can really get in and play, particularly with his explosiveness and his quickness, but that is a little bit of a non starter for me. So Rick Venturi via the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. Again, he, Matt Taylor, Joe Wright, have your draft coverage round one Thursday. After this show, they'll be out at the uh, Colts Complex with season ticket holders for the show. That is something you will not want to miss as well. All right, other thoughts, and and we'll trail into the next break as well because you've always had, and I've always loved this, your Morse Reservoir All-Stars, but you have added a different layer to that this year haven't you i sure have and uh i call it my combination morse reservoir all-stars slash my et team now you, you remember the movie i do e. come home i think i cried and, uh, during that I, movie I want, in 1982 i think <laughs> i want some of those guys to come home now the reason i call it et and some of these guys i just mentioned are going to be repeats on this is the one thing that you can't coach. And I found myself over the years cherishing these traits, particularly after I've looked at the film. Now, if the guy's not even good on film, I don't care about the traits. But the two traits that you just can't coach, they have to be there, is explosiveness, that's the E, and twitch. And twitch is just that that quickness. It's hard to define, but you know it when you see it. And so that's where the ET tum comes from. And so I've got a bunch of guys that I will list. And what I've done, the reason it's not all Morse Reservoir All-Stars is there are several guys here that on that second day could be in the picture. A few of them, handful of them may go in the top 15, but there's a lot of guys that I'm going to list for you to be alert for. Uh, I think that it would be really good on that second, that second and third round. Yeah. E.T. is what you're calling it. E.T., yep. Anybody come to mind? Okay. I got several guys if we got time. We, well, uh, give me give me a three and a half minutes worth, and then we'll take a break and come back and close it with you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> all right. On the offensive end of it, on the offensive end of it, all right, here's the receivers that I really like. Right. Now, uh, some of them, you know, like Flowers are probably going to be in the first round. But here's guys that are really – they can fly, they can make plays. I, th- I think this year's receiver core – is not great at the uh, very top. I, I don't think you have that kind of stuff, but I think it's exceptional on the second day. Now, what it is is a lot of smaller, faster slot-type guys, but we need guys that can make plays. So here's some names, guys I really like. I really like uh, Flowers out of uh, Boston College. He's small, slot guy, but he can catch it and run it. He can separate. I really like Jalen Hyatt out of Tennessee. Now, he's a an outside guy. If if I had Hyatt, I would probably consider uh, using Pittman more at the slot, where I think he'd be more effective. Um, I really like Marlon Mims out of Oklahoma. Again, a small slot, very much like Flowers, who's a big play who can jump out of the gym. I like a kid, and this would be a Morse Reservoir All Star. He's not he's not in that top 
you know, 40 guys. But a guy I really like is another kid out of Cincinnati, uh, Tyler Scott, who can really fly. And then uh, my dark horse on this is we've done so well in the Northeast with, um, you know, with Thomas and um, and uh, Rogers. Uh, you know, we've had low draft picks out of the Northeast actually play very good. And I like Olasevich, the receiver from Princeton. And all five of these guys that I mentioned really uh, not only look good on film, but they can run, they can fly, take the top off the defense. So, you know, in terms of my of my receivers, those are the five guys that make my ET team that you're going to be thinking about on that second day. Ah, oh, man. So Rick Venturi via the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. Let me take a break and come back. Uh, I some, got a whole team for oh, so I, I know you we do. Can, we can go three hours today if you want. <laughs> we, we'll uh, maybe get an edge rusher on the backside yeah. of this. And then okay. Okay. I, I'm yeah. curious. I am curious your thoughts. And we'll have to do this quickly at right guard. And then for Shaquille Leonard as well. We'll bring Rick Venturi back. I mentioned edge rushing opportunities. Where do they stand, according to you, in this draft? Well, you know, I don't think there's any question about a Will Anderson's going to be gone in the lottery. Um, uh, probably Tyree Wilson. I don't think quite as high as people think, but I think he'll be. I think he'll be gone in the first round. Um, and so, I mean, those are the two you know, athletic guys that I I think are pretty visible to everyone. Everybody kind of knows those names. But here's some edge guys that I really, really like. Um, and and I'm gonna go I'm gonna go through them a little bit with you. Um, these are I, now a couple of these guys. Uh, the first one probably won't make it through the first round, but I really like Nolan Smith out of Georgia. He's you know he's a really good football player. And he he just ran a four three nine at the combine. I mean this guy is explosive. He's on that ET team for a reason. The other guy I like right with him is and he won't go in the first round is Brian Young. Out out of Tennessee, another really good. These are guys. What we need is that guy off the edge like Riddick at Philadelphia that is fast and gets up there and makes plays. We have ponderous rushers. We have guys that play hard, but they don't just have the jet. That's why I'm putting a lot of emphasis on speed. So, again, I start with Nolan Smith and uh, and Brian Young. I like Hall out of Auburn. I like Will McDonald uh, out of Iowa State. Uh, I like the white kid out of Georgia Tech. That's five guys. And then on a later, on a third day, uh, I have a Morris Reservoir All Star. Um, you know, and that is Rich. That is Ramirez out of Eastern Michigan. But you know, those four. You know, those guys above that. Those top four or five guys really have good tape. They have ability and and they can all all run i mean they can all fly off that edge and i think we have to put a premium on that i think explosiveness is is where we're lacking and game changers you know the the joey boses the Khalil max you know the von millers uh, even guys like Riddick that, you know, change the game on defense, change the game yeah. on offense. You know, when I was a young rookie coach, and I've carried it with me my entire life, and I think the top teams in the league are have this as a model. Uh, Polian had it as a model. Um, is 
I remember my first personnel director, Fred Schubeck, who I learned a lot from way back 41 years ago. And Fred said to me, Rick, when you draft and you invest in players high, you take guys who knock the quarterback down or guys that put the ball in the end zone yep. and make do with everything else. And if you look at the, you know, the Manning model, it was pretty much like that. You know, you had yep. Hall of Fame receivers, running back, uh, great quarterback, obviously, edge rushers, and then two edge rushers when it, you know when you had the lead, and you know, and then the rest of it, everybody kind of made do. There was good players along yep. the line, but basically, you won because of those perimeter players. It's Cincinnati has it, uh, Philadelphia has it. Kansas City has it, and everybody criticized Jacksonville in the offseason for Kirk, you know, and Ingram and Zay Jones, but you know what? They All they did was win a division going from terrible. So, you know, it's it's, it's kind of a proven thing, and, and I think we've got to get there. So Rick Venturi, quickly before I, I let you go, too, I want to ask you about Dewan Jones, the tackle from Ben yeah. Davis that played at Ohio State. What do you yeah. think about his game at the next level? I really, really like him. I, I think, you know, he's He's so big. I mean, he is so huge. Um, You know, he just blocks out the sun, to be honest with you. But he is a much better athlete. He is one of my favorites who is not in that top tier, probably in the next tier. Um, He is really one of my favorites on tape. He has much better athleticism for that size. You know, he's primarily a right tackle. That's where he'll be. But there's more importance on the right tackle today than there's ever been um my favorite two and i will mention these two guys because you you, you actually three guys uh i I, now he's a real riser and he's in he's going to be midway in the first half but i i love darnell right out of tennessee i had him as a top pick right off the bat and now all of a sudden after the combine and everything he's really risen out of tennessee uh, I like Cody Mock out of North Dakota State. I think he's a guy that plays tackle, but he could be a that right guard, uh, you know, type of guy. I mean, he's a, he's another guy that's that's that way. And then Jones, obviously, is the third guy. A fourth guy that I really like, and I think he's going to be a second day guy. I like the guard out of TCU. Now, there's a lot of guards. A lot of people like I like Avila. He is my favorite. Yeah. Uh, inside, and we saw him there. play a great deal in in competitive situations too. So. Yeah, I, I yeah. think he's t- I think he's a road grader, but I think he's athletic enough to protect. And so those are those are kind of four guys that I really like. That although I think you could you can take Wright out of there. I think Wright's going to go with Johnson, Skaronski, um, uh, the Jones from Georgia. I mean, I, I, I think I think that Wright is going to go right with those guys in the first round. All right, Rick, final minute here. We just got news recently regarding Shaquille Leonard. What did you think in terms of him ever getting back to what everybody thought he was going to be? Well, I just I'm pulling for him. I, I, I'm just pulling so hard for him. Um, you know, he's got the right stuff. Um, when I talk about guys that impact the game, um, he does it in a different way. Uh, he takes the ball away. He has a unique skill. Um, he would mean so much to you because you just don't have those guys. You don't have those game changers, and he is definitely one of them. Obviously, last year was just a terrible struggle for him. I worry about it because you know, I've had back surgery myself. It's, it's just not an easy thing, and no two guys are the same. So, like I say, I'm, I'm really pulling for him because he would have 
you know, both a game-changing and, I, I really believe this, an emotional lift on this team. That's uh, Rick Venturi right there. Again, the podcast at Colts.com that answers a lot of these questions regarding the draft. And he and Matt Taylor and Joe Wrights got you anchored coming up on Thursday for round number one of that draft. And their show follows mine right here on The Fan. I cannot thank you enough for doing this every single year. It is really the highlight. It is the three or four times you join us every Every year. Um, awesome. Just absolutely awesome. Thank you very much. Oh, good friend. I, I absolutely love that hour. I cherish that hour. So let's have a good time Thursday night. All right. Get back with you soon, Rick. Thank you. Okay, man. Mandy Moore, Automotive Group Hotline. Uh, he'll be a part of uh, always the uh, Grand Prix and everything coming up. Uh, one race before that down at Barber. That's this weekend. Right outside of Birmingham, Alabama. Jake Query from the morning show, Kevin and Query, joins us now. Is that this weekend? That is indeed correct. Barber Motorsports Park. By the way, Hagen's calling me in the end of the line right now. Is he really? How does Hagen not know that I'm on with you right now? That's weird. I think he's coming back. He was, um, I think he's been off. I think he's back on today. Speaking of Alabama. He's usually at that race because that's one of his nine home yeah. states. You want to, do you want to um, click? You want to click over and see what he wants real quick? No, you know he must have gotten the hint because he he <laughs> declined. There's nothing more convoluted anyway than the call waiting on an iPhone. Yeah, it's like launching missiles. You're like, wait a minute, what button am I pushing? And they're flopping all over. But anyway, does that um, does it um, when you decline somebody's call like that? Does it like say blank off to them on the other end? Well, I think they can tell because, like, all of a sudden, mid-ring, it just goes to voicemail, right? right. So they know that, that you shout it down, I, you know. <laughs> and half the time, I, I mean to accept, and I decline, and I hang up on both people. It's a huge hassle. Um, Barber Motorsports Park this weekend, which is mm-hmm. – I, I love Birmingham. I think it's a very underrated city. The racetrack is technically in Leeds, which is just to the east of Birmingham, and it's actually Charles Barkley's hometown, Leeds, Alabama. Um and I also thought it fitting that you would mention the Grand Prix or the Grand Prix, which is totally That's I'm from Southern Indiana, so it's okay. If it's John, James, and Jake right now, that would be 3J, and there was no better go-kart track as a kid in 7th and 8th grade after the end of the school year or Little League practice or whatever than to go to Westfield to Thunder Island, previously known as 3J. And anybody that's in my age range that remembers, like, the five-year window in which it was – uh, a player is nodding their head like, hell yes. The batting yes. cages, the water slides, and the, the go-kart track. And then Shannon Doherty filmed a horrible movie that had a scene that was filmed at 3J Thunder Island in Westfield in 1980. Wait, wait, wait. Shannon Doherty did? Yes. Wow. There's some terrible movie, John. It was the worst B-movie ever made. Uh, like 89, I think it was 89 or 90. And it was about Shannon Doherty and her friends were a high school newspaper crew that unfolded some business scandal and the as a result one of their counterparts was um kidnapped and they had to go in exchange for ransom money with the bad guys and they met them at the top of the water slides at thunder island in westfield i kid you not that's awesome i remember the commercials for thunder island back then well done yeah it's great. As well done. I believe Shannon Darty's I believe Shannon Darty's coming to Indianapolis here relatively soon too. So for what? Uh some kind of comic con thing, I believe. Something like that. I believe. Shannon Doherty watch doesn't work in three years. 
So true, true story right there. Hey, what's um the input of the morning show with you guys? I, I know, and I'm assuming you guys talk about this as well, how tired everybody is, and, and we are too, how worn out the draft subject is. But I think everybody does understand this is what we have to to go on because most people want to to hear it. Where do we all stand in the morning in terms of this draft coming up on Thursday? Round number one and then otherwise further down the road. Where's our feeling there? Oh, I mean, I think there's no doubt about the fact that of the three of us, between Mark, Kevin, and myself, I'm the most cynical about it. But there's no doubt also that all three of us are more than ready for it to be here. I mean, I, to your point, I understand it. I respect the fact that, and I'm appreciative of the fact that people want to hear the talk about the draft and the latest unfoldings of the ebb and flow of all the discussion of it. Uh, and it certainly... You know, listen, I appreciate everybody that listens to it. But I know that they are just like we are of the fact of, like, it's going to be nice to finally have a concrete answer and finally have a person that we can talk about and say, now we know definitively what the direction is. Uh, We are all three very optimistic about that. Isn't it amazing to see this team and, you know, often was talked about, especially with, with Chris Ballard, about the depth and how important that was. And, And you see a team that has no depth. Right now, I mean, no, no depth, and you know the depth that they have is going to be absorbed now because you look at the top end, and they're I think among the and I hate I'm trying to throw cold cold water on everybody I guess with this take right here, but that is something that definitely needs a great deal of improvement would be you know the top ten plus players I mean at any position but those top positions on this team are just incredibly lacking right now. I think, John, that the Colts figured out that the, that they have put their best resources in the positions that matter the least. And I hate to say that, but there's a reality to that. And the positions that matter the most in today's NFL, they're void of talent. They don't have open field playmakers, except for Jonathan Taylor. They don't have – I mean, Pittman's a nice player. Don't get me wrong. That's maybe selling him a little short. Um, we don't know who's going to be throwing in the ball, though. You know, they may have to, for that matter, and I like EJ Speed, but we don't know. And I think we're going to find out a lot probably on Friday of what the Colts think about the health and the long-term plan with Shaquille Leonard, who has been a playmaker for them. But the 2% motor that he has that makes that separates him from the rest of the league, that 2% motor may never come back because of the injury, I, and, and I don't know that they know his long-term health. And if they draft a linebacker in, say, the third round or the fourth round, I think that's going to be very telling, or even the second round is going to be very telling. There are a lot of question marks. I agree with you that the problem for the Colts, or the challenge is probably a better word, the challenge the Colts have is they're taking on water in a lot of areas, and they're going to, you know, if they're not careful, they're going to end up looking like Chevy Chase with bubble gum in Vegas vacation at the Hoover Dam, right? You're trying to plug one and then another pops up. That's what's happened the last couple of years, and they got to start getting some stuff figured out. Uh, Jake Query, The Morning Show. Kevin and Query, weekday mornings from 7 until 10 a.m. here on The Fan. He's with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Have you been as dialed into Sacramento, and really the NBA postseason in general, but Sacramento and Golden State as much as I have? I have. And, and, you know, you and I, I I think it's fascinating because to me, it reminds me a lot of the old guard of the NBA, John. And by that, I mean, you know, I mentioned this earlier, you know, the, the Pistons had to get past the Celtics 
the the Bulls had to get past the Pistons. You know, nobody got past the Bulls, obviously. But, you know, once Jordan was out of play, Indiana had to get past the Knicks. And this series, to me, for Sacramento and Golden State is interesting because while they don't necessarily have the, the postseason rivalry, obviously, Sacramento is the young kid on the block in Golden State who is, you know, relatively their neighbor, geographically speaking. It's tough because you get up 2 nothing on them, but you give them a glimmer of hope, which they have now. You got to wonder if, if Sacramento is able to live up to that pressure because they're young. Darren Fox is a great player, great player, and they have really good young players. But it's tough to knock out Steph Curry and Draymond Green and Clay Thompson, and Draymond Green's not even there for a game, and you're still back to being squared up at two-two. Golden State gets one on the road, you know, it changes things. But I like it. It's been fun. There's been drama. It's been high-paced. You got Steph Curry pulling a Chris Webber, and his team still wins. Uh, it's been fun to watch. Yeah, Adrian Wojnarowski, the last 15 minutes, speaking of Sacramento and De'Aaron Fox, he fractured the very tip of his left index finger in Game 4. There is hope that he still will try and play in Game 5. Fox would need to play with a protective covering on that finger. He will be listed as doubtful. So with what you just said, Boy. there's information within the last 15 minutes. Boy, yeah, that's um, – because he's a great player. And, you know, you and I have talked about this before, John, but there are rare occasions, and it's fun when it happens, that an NBA trade works out in the long term really well for both teams. And I think that's exactly what happened with Halliburton and Sabonis. Sabonis has fit in really well with what Sacramento wants to do and the way they play, and – that also by getting rid of Halliburton that freed up Darren Fox, who's been a great player for them and has the same ceiling, it would appear, as Halliburton does in Indiana. So it's worked out well for both. But that's unfortunate to hear because he's been really good in this series. Yeah, Darren Fox, yeah, there's no doubt about that. So it, I, he makes plays that makes you enjoy the mid range again. You know what I mean? We've oh. forgotten about that so many times over the past 10-plus years. He makes you enjoy the mid-range game part of offense now. I have always said, and this isn't the case with him because he's a, a more dynamic player than this, but you know, Etwan Moore and Courtney Lee are my two great Indiana examples of this. If you are a good teammate that can knock down consistently a mid-range jumper, you can last in the NBA for a long time. And those two guys both made a living at it because it's a lost art. Totally a lost art. The pull-up, 10, 12-footer, 15-footer, not many guys can do that anymore. They can hit a lot of threes, and they're dynamic at it. They can create shots, they're dynamic at it. But just that mid-range game is, is something that's always good to see. So, Jake Cray with us. I was going over the Reds and uh, you know, obviously getting swept by the Pirates, uh, being last place of the National League Central. You get about a week and a half, it seems, of real true Reds enjoyment before everything goes haywire. Damon Dobbs had sent me this. We, you look back um, into 2015, um, and I'll give you a great example. The Reds have been five games back, at least five games back. Last year, April the 18th, 2022, check that, I'm sorry, 2023, this year, April the 18th, last year, April the 19th, year prior, May the 19th, uh, 2018, April the 9th, that's got to be, that can't be right, 
2018, April the 9th, 2017, April the 28th, 2016, April the 22nd, 2015, May the 1st. So an average date to be five games back or more for the Reds going back to 2015, April the 22nd. That doesn't give you much of a long-term rooting interest right there. That's brutal, man. Just brutal, and I mean, <laughs> that makes me laugh a little bit. And I mean, at least they, at least, at least they actually extended a promising pitcher. I mean, I'll give them that. They they spent money to keep somebody in house. But man, I mean, just brutal. If right? you want, if you want to go to ten know. games back, ten games back or more, the average date since 2015 is June the 15th. Brutal. Terrible. And I mean, here's the thing: it's not like. And I'm sure there are probably somebody's going to jump out and be like, are you forgetting about so-and-so? But, you know, with the exception of St. Louis, who usually is a second-half team, and Milwaukee's had some good teams in the last decade or so, but it's not like they're in a division with teams that are going out and winning 107 ga- 110, 120 games year in, year out. I mean, they're in a fairly winnable division with competency, right? And yet, good Lord, man, I mean – you're in a division with the Cubs and the Pirates and, and you know, Milwaukee's and, and you're still circling the drain every single year. And just it breaks your heart, man, because you wanna I mean, you want them to be good. Like I, I just there's no team that makes me more nostalgic in sports than the Reds. Because my all of my memories of them being elite were my childhood. Yep. And my childhood was dominated by them being elite. And and in through high school because of, you know the, the wire to wire ninety season and like I never would have guessed that that was going to be the end of it and for that matter when they were in San Francisco and they were up two nothing on the Giants and then the roof caved in whoever would have guessed that was the last hurrah and it might be the last hurrah for a long time it's the way that it looks Jake Cray with us before I let you go did Shannon like the remix I put together with Eddie Murphy party all the time and Eddie Murphy raw the other oh, night it's unbelievable. I mean, it was unbelievable. Like, we're, we're driving back from dinner, and, I mean, she, and she's, like, belting out party all the time. I mean, she likes it when you do Triumph. She's had a, a, she loves any of the 80s. She's an 80s hairband girl, right? Right. So she loves any of the late 70s, early 80s, stuff like that. But I've never seen anything like, like the way she was belting out party all the time. I, I mean, she didn't even know I shot the video of her. But I, for those that don't know, <laughs> I shot a video of her in the car and texted it to you. I was like, check this it was, out. It was great. Um, yeah. It was great. It was, it's, it's a huge, huge, huge part of our Saturday night, honestly. Every year, like every every weekend, I so look forward to when we're going out and driving around and putting that on and, um, you know, seeing which, seeing which songs she'll get a kick out of. Yeah, Eddie Murphy doing his impression raw of Bill Cosby and Filth, Florin, Filth, Florin, Filth is always one of the greatest right there. Love that. So, hey, what you guys got coming up tomorrow morning? Uh, we are actually going to talk Russ Talkers – excuse me, Russ – Ross Tucker, easy for me to say, is going to join us, talk a little NFL. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the NBA playoffs also, I mean, that, that's that's fun to talk about for sure. But three days left of trying to analyze and scrutinize where the Colts are going and also what they might do in some of those later rounds. So that'll be a big topic for us tomorrow. And then apparently, I guess they're bringing in mayonnaise for me to eat because I hate mayonnaise and Will Levis puts it in his coffee and I might puke on the air. Wow, I dig some mayonnaise. Give yeah. me, give me, give me mayonnaise on a bologna 
and a full moon Colby cheese sandwich. I'm good to go right there. A little bit of white bread, right? That's from where I'm from right there. That's I mean, I'm not that was a lunch. Green County's coming out to you, but come on. <laughs> True story right there. All right, mayonnaise eater. Mayonnaise. They get Mark to bring that up from Officer and the Gentleman. Hey, mayonnaise. So, all right, brother. Appreciate May you. Knows, all I got to say. All right, we'll see you, John.